Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Three decades ago, President George H.W. Bush signed into law the Americans with Disabilities Act. The legislation prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities and requires all newly constructed buildings to be fully accessible. And yet that's still not the case for nearly 20 percent of all transit stations across the country, according to federal government estimates. The Chicago Tribune reports 42 L stations in our city are not accessible for people with disabilities and haven't been upgraded in years. But change is on the way, thanks to the All Stations Accessibility Program, or ASAP Act. U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth pushed for this provision to be included in the federal infrastructure bill. As most know, she has physical challenges due to battle injuries that she suffered in Iraq. And right now, even she doesn't trust riding the L. I've tried several times and I've just given up on it because I just never know when I get to a station. First of all, whether it's even going to have an elevator or if it does, whether or not the elevator is going to be working. And it just gets to be so overwhelming and, uh, and not something I can count on. You know, when you're trying to get to work, you're trying to get to an appointment, you need to be able to count on your transportation method. And unfortunately for people with uh, disabilities, the L um, and most mass transit systems that are legacy systems, they're not reliable in terms of whether or not you're going to have access. And I think it's safe to say not everyone has the luxury of paying more for something like an Uber or some other form of transit. So what impact does inaccessibility have on on people with disabilities, especially lower income people? It means they can't get a job or hold on to a job. It means they can't get to school or they're they're limited to what's available in their immediate neighborhood. It, It shrinks your world and your options. You know, when we actually want people to be able to live the lives they want and be as productive as they want to be, and they find that they are constrained by the public transportation system. The ASAP Act is based on the CTA's 20-year plan to uh, place elevators in all of its stations. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So we in Chicago should be very proud of the ASAP Act because it did come from CTA. I remember Dorval Carter, the, the head of the CTA, gave me a call and said, hey, I want you to come tour one of our stations that we have renovated. It's fully accessible. And I want to talk to you about the ASAP Act. It's our initiative in Chicago to make the CTA fully accessible in 20 years. So I said, yes, I went on the tour, and it was lovely. It was just so wonderful. It'll be good not just for persons with disabilities, but for moms with strollers, you know, people with lots of bags, all of those types of things. And I said, so 20 years? He said, yep, this is my initiative. It's going to be done in 20 years. And I said, so basically a half century after the passage of the ADA? That's how long persons with disabilities are going to have to wait? Mm. Half a century? Can't we do it sooner? (laughs) And he said... Well, we could. And he said that disability access has always been a top three priority. But when you have limited amounts of money, the CTA is always going to choose safety over anything else. And I couldn't agree with him more. And I said, well, I understand when there's limited resources, you're going to choose safety and you should. And so the updates come later and it keeps getting pushed back, pushed back. And what do you need? He said, well, if you could have some sort of funding that was fenced off specifically for accessibility, then we could make it happen much sooner. And so that's what I did was I I took the ASAP Act and adopted it for nationwide and came up with the cost share and this money that is spent in specifically to making mass transit stations accessible. 
speaking of the funding, it's, it's $1.75 billion in grants for transit agencies to, to make their stations fully accessible across the country. Now, it's half of what you wanted, Senator. So what exactly is this amount going to go toward? Well, I wanted it to be a 10-year program. And what has been authorized is actually the 10 years at $2 billion a year for 10 years. But it's like you have a bank account, but you have a credit limit that I got approved was for 10 years, but we only have enough money for five years, which is a 1.75 over five years with an 80-20 cost share. So the local government only pays 20% of the cost. This is just a down payment. We're going to get the remaining money. And in fact, the Biden administration and uh, Mayor Buttigieg, who toured one of those stations in Chicago, agrees with me that we need to go for the 10-year time frame. But this gets us started. And my goal is to make all transit stations in the entire nation accessible. What kind of input have you received from the disability community here in our region about the changes that they want to see? Well, I mean, not just input, but just support and partnership. I will tell you, Access Living in Chicago and and lots of other organizations have been so helpful and cooperative with even just the writing of the legislation and how to word it. And so they're going to be part of the process of providing insight as to what needs to be done. One of the things that they wanted to talk about is that it can't just be for mobility impairment. Yes, wheelchair users have a unique disadvantage to accessing some of these stations. But remember that what prevents your access could be somebody with a visual impairment. When, when you go to ticketing systems that are fully just touchscreen and Braille no longer exists, then that's a barrier for someone you know, with a vision impairment. Um, you know, there could be uh, issues with cognitive impairment or hearing impairment. So what I heard from the disability community is let's look at all disabilities, and there are so many things that we can do. Yes, it's about elevators, but it's about more than just elevators also. Well, what else will you be pushing for then with this act? Um, You know, cell phone apps that make it easier for persons with disabilities to navigate these systems. Are we pushing for um, more partnership with disability advocacy organizations on the front end when people are developing these plans for what they're going to do with the money once they, you know, when they get the grant money so that it's not an afterthought, but in fact, it is part of the capital planning process at the very beginning, and that we do take into account all disabilities. Uh, Senator, you helped advance legislation concerning another issue that's personal to you as well. Uh, Last week, the president signed your Protecting Moms Who Served Act into law. Now, it's co-sponsored with U.S. Representative Lauren Underwood of Illinois' 14th Congressional District. Can you give us the story behind that bill? Yeah, so that bill is part of what Lauren and I call our momnibus, <laughs> which is a collection of pieces of legislation that have to do with maternal health. Mm-hmm. And this is just the, the veterans piece of it. But we want to work on issues of maternal health across the country. And in fact, we are in the United States right now seeing a major, major epidemic in maternal mortality. In fact, we have the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world. And our maternal mortality rate is growing. It's going in the wrong direction. It's increasing. And we're seeing those rates to be especially high among black moms and Latinx moms. So we have to reverse this trend. And the Momnibus will work on that. This piece, the Protecting Moms Who Served Act, really addresses how DOD serves women in the military and then VA serves our women veterans. It, for example, invests $15 million in maternity care coordination programs at VA facilities. Oh, wow. What do we know uh, about the scope of the maternal mortality crisis among women veterans? 
Well, what we have is that within the veteran community that there's not effective coordination between VA facilities and non-VA facilities in the delivery of maternity care. You know, women in the military have 15%. Our military can't go to war without our women. But that's still a relatively small percentage. So VA, in many cases, contracts out or, or sends women veterans to get care outside of VA, which is good, which is good because you want somebody who's an expert. So for example, when I was going through my fertility treatments and then when I was going through my, my two pregnancies, my VA, Heinz VA, while they sort of supervised my care in, in the women's health clinic, they sent me to Northwestern, which is where I had my pregnancy taken care of and followed. And, and But that connection between the VA facility and the non-VA facility that the patient chooses oftentimes it's not a very good connection and there's not a good coordination. So we have to fix that, better access and referrals across the community, and then also look at behavioral, maternal, mental health risk factors in prenatal and postpartum periods as well. Well, yesterday the, the White House hosted a day-long summit on maternal health. Why was the summit held? You know, this is more than just making sure that everybody has breast pumps. It's about making sure that we reverse the trend that is happening in this country of increasing maternal mortality rates and severe maternal morbidity among veterans and among women of color in particular. We have to reverse this trend. It is shameful that in 2021 we're seeing uh, more mothers dying uh, as a result of pregnancy and childbirth and that that is especially high among women of color. Yeah. What do you think is causing high maternal mortality rates among women, especially black women here in the U.S.? Where are we falling short in this country? Well, part of it is listening to the moms, Um, particularly a case among women of color is that their symptoms and their concerns often are not as well listened to by clinicians and those in the healthcare uh, community. I think we've all heard the famous case of Serena Williams, you know, the famous tennis player. She knew that she has a history of blood clots. She, I think, takes medication for it. And even as she gave birth to her child, you know, she knew, recognized what those symptoms were and she was experiencing them. And even as Serena Williams uh, was not listened to and almost had a very negative health outcome. I think she almost died uh, as a result of giving birth. So we need to make sure that there is a cultural shift as well within the healthcare community to better listen to moms of color. But across our country, we have issues of um, coordination and childbirth preparation classes, parenting classes, nutritional counseling, breastfeeding support, all of that um, mm-hmm. is not where it should be. And, and that's what we need to do in order to reverse this trend of maternal mortality. Well, Senator, we, we started our conversation discussing infrastructure, but there is another major piece of President Biden's agenda that's waiting for action in the Senate, and that's that $2 trillion social spending bill. What is the latest on negotiations? Is it going to pass the Senate? I think it will pass the Senate. I think we're, we're, we're buttoning it down this week. Um, it did pass the House, you know, and, and so we're going to take it and, and, and work out the details with the one or two senators who still have some concerns. It is just so important for families across the country, as well as for our economy. You know, when I've talked to um, everybody from farmers to restaurant owners, time after time, they said the same thing. We can't get workers to come back to work full time post-pandemic. And one of the biggest problems that we have is lack of child care. We lost so much child care in this country during the pandemic that we have to uh, make those investments to grow the child care capacity, and then also to make sure that families have access to child care so that people can get back to work. That is U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth, Democrat from Illinois. Senator, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure to be on. Thank you.
Well, that's it for today's Reset. If you are a regular listener to the show, you followed our coverage on transit justice issues like in our Closing the Gap series. Public officials like Senator Duckworth listen to our coverage, and you can join in by subscribing to this podcast. And please do give us a rating. It helps people like you find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.